this is the in focus podcast from the hindu welcome to another episode of the hindu's in focus podcast i'm zubeda hamid your host for today just about a month ago resecurity an american cybersecurity firm said that personal information of 815 million indians was being sold on the dark web This included details such as Aadhaar numbers and passport details. The persons selling this information claimed that it was from the Indian Council of Medical Research or ICMR, the country's premier scientific research body. This is not the first time ICMR has been subject to a cyber attack. 6000 such attempts were reported just last year. The All India Institute of Medical Sciences aims in Delhi has also been hit by cyber attacks. In one ra- ransomware case The hackers took over the servers, encrypted the data and made it impossible for the hospital to access its own systems. Health data consists of sensitive personal information and once stolen can increase the risk of digital identity theft, online banking thefts, tax frauds and other financial crimes. India was ranked 4th across the world in all malware detection in the first half of 2023 as per a survey from Resecurity. But even as this is going on, The central government launched an ambitious Ayushman Bharat digital initiative in 2021 and during the COVID-19 pandemic our aadhar and other details were used for both testing and vaccination services. So how safe is our health data with government or private health organizations? How well does the Data Protection Act that came into force this year protect this sensitive information? Is our right to privacy over our personal information being adequately safeguarded in India? We discuss these issues and more with Shivangi Rai, Deputy Coordinator at the Center for Health Equity, Law and Policy, the Indian Law Society, Pune. Welcome to the Hindus in Focus podcast, Shivangi. Hi, thank you. Happy to be here. Shivangi, there have been numerous cyber attacks on health organizations in India, including at the Indian Council of Medical Research and at AIMS. A lot of these organizations store personal sensitive information. Tell us a little bit about how these data breaches happen and why they seem to have increased in frequency. Yeah, see, there have been a spate of cybersecurity incidents in the health sector in the recent years. According to the Data Security Council of India report, uh, in 2016 and 2018, India suffered the second most cyber attacks. Then the most recent report of Trend Micros of the early first half of 2023 also says that India was ranked the third worst country following US and Brazil for cyber security risk events in 2023 according to a study by sophos which is a uk based cyber security firm nearly 60% of healthcare organizations have suffered a cyber security attack in the past 12 months of which cyber criminals were able to successfully encrypt data in nearly 75% of these attacks and that has been the highest rate of encryption in the past 3 years Now, cyber security attacks like the ones in Ames and the most recent one about about eighty data of eighty one crore Indians uh, allegedly have been leaked from ICMR that is yet being established. These are increasing because health data has a wealth of valuable information and is lucrative for fraudulent active activity. Typically, stolen health data is sold on the dark net and is used for identity theft, fraudulent billing, and blackmail, and for now ransomware demands from hospitals. Healthcare organizations typically have large and very vulnerable attack surfaces, 
which are composed of all the different access points, which are unmatched, outdated legacy software and hardware, unmonitored medical devices, mobile health devices, third-party vendors, which are essentially business associates, remote workers and devices. It's a certainly large number of um, avenues from which attacks can be mounted. Certain, which is a statutory body under IT Act, said in context of the AIMS attack that the attack was caused due to improper network segmentation, which reveals a larger surface area for attack. Now, coupled with the vulnerability of health data organizations, <laughs> ironically, they have one of the most weakest cybersecurity systems because of outdated software, legacy systems, inadequate investments in cybersecurity has also worsened the situation. Um, in countries like India, while there's a growing demand of cybersecurity professionals, the industry is facing a major skill challenge. So there's shortfall of cybersecurity professionals in India. But of course, the ultimate reason is that India is pushing ahead with digitization without doing an assessment of the state of cybersecurity or capacity needed first, and then to accordingly place legal and regulatory and capacity development measures. Now, in cybersecurity attacks, one of the issues is obviously the risk to privacy of health data, but it's also very important to consider the impact on direct patient care, especially if the cyber attacks are, are on healthcare institutions like AIMS. When hackers do ransomware attacks, they typically encrypt the data, which means that the hospitals cannot access the digital health records of the patients to render services, which really halts or greatly impedes delivery of healthcare services, which in hospitals could give rise to life-threatening consequences also. Okay, that sounds extremely ch- uh, like an extremely challenging situation, Shivangi. Tell us a little bit about the law itself. Now, the Digital Data Protection Act came into force earlier this year. Tell us how it deals with health and sensitive health data and sensitive data. Yeah, that's the thing. That health data has always been considered very sensitive and law and ethics frameworks impose strict requirements of confidentiality, even secrecy to it, as the thing that is very important to keep people's trust in their doctors and medical institutions, which in turn is crucial for the success of public health programs. Now, the IT, Information Technology Sensitive Personal Data or Information Rules, which had come out in 2011, recognized information relating to physical, physiological, mental health conditions, sexual orientation, and medical records as sensitive personal data and provided privacy and data security safeguards accordingly, which were heightened than other personal data. The same view was reflected in the previous iterations of the Data Protection Bill till the 2022 version came up. However, then and then finally, the Data Protection Act of 2023 has obliterated any distinction between personal and sensitive personal data and has also repealed the relevant IT rules, which now places health data at par with other personal data, which means it does not have any additional safeguards for the collection, processing and sharing or disclosure of health data, which makes it more vulnerable to unauthorized disclosures, misuse and abuse with grave consequences. Also, by deleting the SPDI rules under the IT Act, it has also weakened the requirements of organizational and technical measures, as well as the reasonable data security measures required for data protection. Because the IT rules uh, were detailed in terms of um, imposing these um, obligations on the body corporates, you know, and under the Data Protection Act, there's just very negligible mention of security standards and technical organizational measures that have to be put in place. So that's just about how it treats, uh, it does not treat health data as sensitive. And of course, there are a whole host of 
problems with how it uh, deals with informed consent and uh, the exemptions where consent is not necessary and the other wide scale exemptions where the entire act will not apply to processing of personal data by state and its instrument instrumentalities so basically the i the latest version of the data protection act which is basically the law now it does not as you said protect sensitive health data in the manner in which it should be protected correct exactly and it does not place any responsibility on organizations that are collecting this data from patients to put a high level of safeguarding around this information no it does not there's no distinction in the level of uh, safeguards that's required between personal and sensitive personal data that distinction is gone so anybody can collect any amount of patient data and there is no obligation upon them to specially protect it to specially protect it yes tell us a little bit so we were talking and you mentioned a little earlier also that there are other problems with the data protection act as well and about consent so now the government in 2021 launched its very ambitious ayushman bharat digital mission which you also mentioned right we're going ahead with the digital program in india but concerns have been raised about consent which you talked to us about and about how so many people's health accounts are being generated without them even knowing about it there are reports indicating this talk to us about the issue of user consent in digital health programs you know from a reading of the health data management policy which had come out around the time covid had hit it was clear that there will be no consent for the creation of uhid the policy had cleverly did not mention mandate that uhid uhid will be created mandatorily neither did it say that it will be subject to consent you know because and we have always believed that the government did not want to openly admit that they want to create uhids without knowledge or consent then there was this whole voluntary mandatory messaging for the use of aadhaar for accessing covid testing and vaccination it was supposed to be ostensibly voluntary but in reality as reports have come out and we have also experienced on the ground it was being insisted upon and when people were using aadhaar for um, especially for covid vaccination surreptitiously without their knowledge or forget consent without even their knowledge uhid was being created now in contrast with people who somehow refused to use aadhaar for covid vaccination they were not assigned a uhid but a separate beneficiary number was given so this revealed that it was clear that the intent of the government was to create uhids without knowledge or consent and to link it with aadhaar which gives rise to the whole concern around government um directly or indirectly linking aadhaar with digitization of data sets across different sectors including the health sector Now, interestingly the uhid rules of 2021 updated till 2023 under the aadhaar act which came out they state that uhid will be linked with ehrs electronic health records of patients that will help them in identifying them correctly and integrating all the health databases but that the creation of uhid itself is voluntary and that uhid will be created on the basis of aadhaar as well as other ids but that since use of aadhaar authentication service for creation of uhid is voluntary no denial of health service provisioning in default shall be allowed however we don't think people are being given any option to not create uhid or being told that this is voluntary now the objective so what is the objective of this data collection and linking health data with uhid or aadhaar so i would like to talk about that in 
a government report titled National Health Tap talked about the potential of large amounts of health data as potentially placing India at the forefront of medical research in the world. The design is geared to generate vast amounts of data resulting in some of the largest health databases with secured anonymized aggregated data. Then the National Digital Health Blueprint which came out after this aimed to do this by two methods a by creation of UHIDs and health lockers that will create and maintain individual EHRs and b by creating taking individual EHRs and making big data in health which is your anonymized aggregated data which will then be used to leverage big data analysis and artificial intelligence and machine learning by private sector entities for public health purposes and for profit generation and there is no consent for anonymization of data sets and for using it for various purposes by private uh, companies or even by uh, government which gives rise to um, you know wide scale fears of surveillance by government as well as uh, you know pro- profit motive commercialization by private companies and individuals have no say in it whether the data will be aggregated anonymized and will be shared with whom for what purposes and whether they can say no to it as a result that's why no wonder we saw large scale data gathering linking with uhid and aadhaar pmj beneficiaries who had used aadhaar which was 95% of them according to government data were allotted a uhid automatically people were mandated to use aadhaar for covid testing and then uhid was created frontline workers like asha are collecting currently health data and creating individual and family health cards without any consent knowledge or anything we have no idea where this data is going who is accessing it for what purposes we don't know no so and i talked about the concerns related to routinization of surveillance you know instead of case to case decision making because all sorts of health data is being digitized everything is being linked and the earlier where decisions about name based surveillance were more case to case based on some principles or parameters of requirement of public health now it seems it will become routine under the wordings used in the act very broad terms so there's lack of clarity whether uh, government will mandate private sector like private hospitals doctors to send name based uh, health records of all patients for all different health conditions so essentially private organizations that want to do research can just access this large large database of sensitive health information that india has generated correct typically what happens there'll be different kinds of regulations this one currently what we have now is for regulation of personal health data there will be a separate thing and it stops by saying that personal health data is largely used for two purposes one is for direct services so primary purpose of giving health services to patients second is your secondary purposes which essentially include research statistical analysis etc here comes that it could be used for secondary purposes by government departments bodies for public health research etc which is fine good uh as well as for commercialization because all the accompanying documents right from national health stack to the digital health blueprint which talk about monetization of data you know so there that whole setup then will be governed under a separate legislation and and there have been you know policy development around it which will called governance of non personal data you know there the main things will be that a the supposition that once a data set is anonymized it is a you know silver bullet for privacy it is no longer it has been established after studies after studies that 
anonymized data sets, particularly in the hand of, you know, big tech and using big data analysis can be reversed and it can be linked back to identifiable individuals. So one is, of course, the continuing privacy concerns, but then there are larger concerns about the democratic use of data, using people's data for private profit. And can there be a different model? So there should be you know, a democratization where people themselves decide, communities who decide their data will be used for what purposes and on what benefit sharing, not commercialization. And the models like that exist around the world. And so that's those are the bunch of concerns around monetization of data for secondary purposes. You know, government sharing people's data from government databases with private companies. Tell us a little bit more about this consent issue. So we said that, uh, you know, how the while the uh, while the rules talk about uh, taking informed consent, in reality, this does not happen. People are just asked to give their Aadhaar, they give their Aadhaar, an ID is created for them. But there is also a section that says that your consent will be deemed as accepted if if there is a medical emergency, correct? Yes. So I'll talk to you about the whole consent framework under the Data Protection Act of 2023. Um, see. It talks about that there should be informed consent as a starting point. That is one of the legal basis. But another legal basis, so in terms of informed consent, how will it be processed? How will it be operationalized? For taking my consent for processing or collection of health data, I'll be given a request, notice. Okay. Now, for it to be informed, for me to give informed decision, I should be informed about everything that will be done with my data. What data is being collected, with whom, which with other entities will it be shared, for what purposes, etc. It does not, the act does not mandate provisioning of that information. You know, very crucial information, particularly where, you know, um, marketing practices, etc. or private sector comes in, that which third parties with which my data will be shared and if I have the right to say no to it, it's completely silent on that. It does not mandate giving me that information. So clearly we're saying that there is no informed consent, though you're saying it. Secondly, there are multitude of circumstances where consent will be presumed including where we give our consent voluntarily, but more important on these grounds of medical emergencies, epidemics, disasters, disease outbreaks, or any threat to public health. You know, now these health conditions, they can be legitimate, you know, that is not the problem. They can be legitimate where there are certain exceptional situations where consent may be presumed. But the problem with the way these things are worded in the act is that they are too broad. Usually under law, the exceptional circumstances are narrowly defined and subjected to, you know, considerations of necessity and proportionality because you have to show that it is justified. Here, that is not defined. It is not being made subject to any necessity or proportionality standards. There is blanket exemptions. There is just no uh, provision of any parliamentary or judicial scrutiny or review. So these are the problems. There's no protocols laid down. There's no safeguards that even in these circumstances, let's say you give these rights to people or that will be limited in time, it will be reviewed, nothing of that sort, which is really strange and very different from uh, laws in other countries. Now, apart from these health-related grounds, another thing which is of big concern in context of health data is that it can, will also be used for employment purposes without consent. Now, that's all that it says, employment purposes. Again, there's no definition. There is no 
you know, determining of the scope of what this means. And obviously, there are huge concerns because um, for a lot of people, a lot of uh, health-related uh, information and statuses are subjected to stigmatization, discrimination, you know, and especially in employment settings. So, um, and then, but there is no detailing of what this means. And there is nothing in the rulemaking power that further rules will be made on these, laying down procedures and the scope of exercise of these. Apart from these legitimate reasons where consent will be assumed, presumed, there are some very broad exemptions, you know, and one of those broad exemptions where large parts of the act will not apply is where data processing is done by state or state instrumentalities, you know, or um, when it is done for the purposes of research, archiving or statistical purposes. This is typically where it stops, and this will also include health research. And then the next law, which will either be the Digital India Act or the regulation or non-personal use of data, will have more instances on this, but we kind of know what the government's intention is. Then apart from all these exemptions to consent, the full spectrum of rights is missing, which will not really empower citizens in the digital health frameworks. You know, there is no right to data portability. Now, these rights were earlier there, you know, in the previous iterations of the bill, but they have been dropped in the final act. In the health context, data portability is considered necessary because it facilitates patient-centered care, which the government has been crying hoarse that that's the objective. And how it does facilitate patient-centered care is by giving individual greater control over their data the ability to obtain and reuse their health data for their own purposes across different services and platforms and prevent exploitative practices which, because it does not get locked up with one particular vendor. But it is not there in the final act. The act also does not give people the right to be informed and seek exemption from profiling and automated decision-making or to seek explanation for such decision-making. Now, these rights are you know, seek to promote transparency and accountability in artificial intelligence systems that rely on machine learning and enable individuals to understand and challenge these automated decisions, which are made without any human intervention, and that could have legal and other ramifications on them, such as denial of insurance coverage or claims. For instance, and all these concerns are very real, huh? they're happening all uh, over the world. For instance, Cigna, one of America's largest health insurance company, is currently facing a class action lawsuit over charges that it is illegally using artificial intelligence algorithm to deny hundreds of thousands of claims without a physician's review based on some pre-fed data. You know. So automated systems without any human intervention. So in some laws, people are given this right that you have the right to seek explanation. You'll be informed that your data can be subjected to automated decision making. You could object to it. You could seek explanation. You could challenge it. Here, we will not even know. Forget about seeking explanation or challenging. Finally, the Data Protection Act does not provide individuals with the right to compensation in case of a data breach. Now, this is really curious. <laughs> the state will get you know, the, the 250 crores or whatever the, that the state can impose as damages, that state will keep, but none of this will be given to people whose data has been breached. Now, the right to compensation is essential, you know, which, is, which was there in the previous iterations of the bill and recognized in several jurisdictions, not just like in EU, UK, but even Kenya, Nigeria, Brazil, you know, in comparable jurisdictions. And the right to compensation provides individuals recourse in case of illegal and non-authorized disclosures of the personal data. Not just data fiduciaries in the public and private sectors 
to incorporate robust data processing and data protection practices and empowers the citizens to hold them accountable you know but these rights are not them it's inexplicable so that way is uh, you'll hear large from large uh, parts people are calling it a data processing act instead of a data protection act and in health we definitely see that the whole objective and the way the act is uh, laid out that people's data will be collected will be digitized will be linked to uhid and where they can with aadhar and it will be used to seed data through databases and largely fine for direct purposes of healthcare but the main intention is commercialization of these data sets and for empowering governments and uncertainties the whole thing is geared towards that what seems even more scary shivangi is what you were saying that it's going to be linked to health benefits so for instance if you're a tb patient who requires a nutritional supplement that the government is supposed to provide you will have to show your aadhar your uhid etc to in order to access these things correct Yes, yeah, so that's what we—that's the fear that even though the government does not say that Aadhaar is mandatory or that UHID says that UHID will be voluntary, but the ground reality has always been very different, and there have been so many instances, and people have had to go to court to seek clarification on whether Aadhaar is mandatory, or even there have been denial—you know—incidents of uh, denial of services because the patient, even this is before UHID, that the patient did not have an Aadhaar card. so um in that light the, the concerning thing also about the use of aadhar or uhid for determining benefits has always been that of exclusion you know and also of arm twisting people into getting on to the digital systems which is equally bad but uh, yeah and here one of the yeah uh, rightly pointed by you is one of the grounds of uh, the consent is immaterial is if if one has given their uh, consent for processing of their data uh, for you know for one accessing one service or benefit then you kind of given consent for processing for any other service benefit etc so this definitely goes against the privacy uh, principle of purpose limitation and there's no good reason why they put it there you know why can't you ask fresh consent Talk to us a little bit. You said you talked to us a little bit about how other countries uh, handle this this collection of and digitization of health data and privacy concerns. How how do other countries do this? And we have now launched the global initiative on digital health as part of the G twenty summit. What does this envisage? See the global initiative on digital health. It's a WHO managed network of stakeholders. essentially organized to facilitate the implementation of the global strategy on digital health 2020 2025 uh, which had come out a few years ago and obviously they've also added other who norms and standards for digital health systems transformation uh, th- this is the initiative is to serve as a platform to enable a wider global ecosystem to work collectively to promote country capacity and strengthen international cooperation in digital health um according to the uh, the global strategy document on digital health um it's it does say that this involves that digital health should be an integral part of health priorities and benefit people in a way that is ethical safe secure reliable equitable and sustained and it should be developed with principles of transparency accessibility scalability replicability interoperability privacy security and confidentiality So it does say all these things, and of course, these objectives are 
promote global cooperation, advance the transfer of knowledge, and basically to advance the use of digital health technologies in all countries. However, the caveats being that it should be, you know, anchored in rights and equity. Uh, but we wonder if there's been any assessment under all these WHO global strategies, and there have been some guidance documents on uh, digital technologies. So from um, United Nations special rapporteurs, etc., they've been more forceful on uh, and critical and more critical of the from the law and rights perspective. Uh, the WHO documents talk about rights, but they're more focused on using digital health technologies for in, in public health. Uh, so that's what that is about. How do other countries handle sensitive data? We can start with that most of the other uh, countries, they do have this category of uh, personal data as well as sensitive personal data. And typically health data along with uh, genetic data, etc. fall under sensitive data. And hence, they typically have stricter and higher threshold requirements for the collection, processing, sharing and disclosure of sensitive data. You know, um, they don't have too many blanket exemptions from requirements of, of consent or applicability of so many of the digital rights, you know, which the, our Indian law is doing. They make limited exemptions also, and they definitely make it subjected to the requirements of necessity and proportionality. They have more established privacy principles, you know, purpose limitation, data minimization, storage limitation. And here under the Data Protection Act, um, it says that uh, where government or its instrument, state or its instrumentalities are processing uh, data, which definitely includes health data, then the requirement of storage limitation will not apply or the requirement of data erasure will not apply. You know, so in a sense, uh, we are typically thinking that health data will definitely be stored in perpetuity. This is also contrary to some of the existing laws, for example, the professional uh, ethics uh, under the EDMC regulations, they only mandate storage of, let's say, physical records of health data for three years. Then uh, the maternity, not maternity, um, the termination of uh, Pregnancy Act, uh, etc., they mandated data to be stored for five years or three years under strict um, privacy and secrecy and th thereafter to be destroyed. You know, so they've taken privacy and confidentiality so far of health data very um, seriously. But here, clearly, the objective is to keep electronic health records, which are anyways, if you read the government guidelines, are uh, health records of individuals from cradle to grave, you know, forever. And anyway, um, many laws institutionalize privacy by design requirements which is so important particularly in uh, light of uh, internet of things you know in digital health typically all your uh, digital medical devices and apps and fitbit watches and all that is so important to ensure that these have privacy by design built during from the time of manufacturing and approvals etc um this was there in previous iterations of the bill and have been removed now and they also provide compensation as a serious accountability measure for data breach so these are some of the practices in in some of the other laws around the world last question shivangi in 2017 the supreme court upheld the right to privacy as a fundamental right in the putuswami case correct how does the digital protection act stand up against the necessities of this judgment 
not two of the most glaring examples being that it does not meet the test of autonomy and the supreme court had held that privacy recognizes the autonomy of the individual and the right of every person to make essential choices which affect the course of life and it, i quote that data protection regimes in addition to privacy seek to protect the autonomy of individuals and this is evident from the emphasis on the centrality of consent related to the issue of consent the requirement of transparency which requires a disclosure by the data recipient of information pertaining to data transfer and use and as i've discussed before um the the data protection act falls far short of this requirement of autonomy and consent secondly um the tests laid down by the supreme court to um for any encroachment to privacy categorically said that apart from legality that it should be a measure placed in law it should satisfy the tests of necessity and proportionality and they have just been dropped from the data protection act you know and uh, for example if you remember when arogya setu was um, deployed one of the severe critiques of it was that it was disproportionately invasive and not necessary for the objective of contract tracing why because it was collecting gps location of users and it proved there was not necessary to do this now if in the act you don't have requirements of necessity and proportionality it will you know remove these kind of safeguards and at least probably i mean we'll still challenge you can still challenge it under the constitution but it greatly uh, inhibits these uh, scrutiny and challenges and emboldens the state and gives it impunity that sounds like a scary prospect for digital health for the future shivangi thank you so much for speaking <laughs> to us today thank you so much in focus will be back soon with analysis of the biggest news issues in the meantime you can find our podcast on spotify apple podcasts stitcher and other platforms just search for in focus by the hindu we'll see you soon